Hello, this is Craig Forsyth, and you're listening to From the Rookery End. Welcome to Film the Weekend Podcast 2.4. We are here at the Watford Training Ground watching the Watford under-18s play Spurs under-18s. Uh, we'll just start the second half. It's 2-1 to Spurs. Or Spuds, as they're Spuds, known. yes. Um, and, um, but it's, it's good. We're seeing some of the young players. Um, and the main focus for the whole podcast, in fact, is going to be about these young players. I'm, as always, I'm John. I'm joined by Mike. Hello. And uh, Jason. Hello. And for this very special podcast, Curtis from Denver. Oh, oh, where's your voice, Dan? Where's your, where's your voice? He's got a bit of a cold, but that's uh, maybe he's only been in, in England for 10 hours, but he's already got a cold from the winter. Uh, as I said, podcast, we're going to be focusing on the development of the players. Last season, we had a chat about the Watford Academy. Now we're going to focus on how do you get from being an Academy player to being a first-team player. Um, and Too late for you, John. Well, I don't know, a couple of runs run around the field. I might lose this extra weight I've got. I'm not sure. We'll see, anyway. Um, and then later on, we were going to the Peterborough Watford game, and Curtis were hoping to keep his run of never ever seeing Watford lose. So it's your fifth game, and you've never seen Watford lose. That is correct. And you've, you've, there's another stat as well, isn't there? I have never seen the same manager tw- twice. Curtis <laughs> <laughs> has just, we've just met Sean Dyer, and Curtis has had a bit of a chat with him, haven't you? You didn't mention that fact. Uh, <laughs> no, I kept that out of my head. So, Jason, what else are we coming up in the podcast? Well, as we're focusing on player development, there was one man we have to chat to, and that's Ross Wilson, Watford's head of football business. We'll ask him about what the next few seasons will be like for the bunch of young Hornets we're watching here today. Plus, we're going to have to discuss the elite player performance plan. The EPPP. Three P's? EPPP. Yeah. It's quite difficult to get it right first time. It's the EPPP, which football league clubs passed last week. And if you don't know what this is or need explaining, then we'll do our best to make it clear. And once they're done here on the pitch, we're hoping to talk to Tommy Hoban. Yes, you might have heard of him. Uh, you played in the last season, uh, last game of the season away at Preston. Uh, Curtis, did you listen to that game uh, on the internet in Denver? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes. yes! Oh, we go. 2 2. Scored by. Absolutely. Sean Murray. Scored by Sean Murray, who uh, we've seen in the first team. That's the second time we've, we've been doing an introduction at yeah, a under 18 game in Watford who have scored. How many more introduced? Junior goal. What's even better is that while Watford celebrate over in the corner, the Spurs back four are going absolutely mental at each other. <laughs> absolutely furious. <laughs> it's fantastic stuff. Uh, and a few weeks back, we got up with uh, summer signing Craig Forsyth, and we uh, had a chat to him, and that interview will be coming up later on in the podcast. But. Big day coming up soon, uh, Mike. Tuesday the 8th of November. It's Massive a big day. One of the biggest in the club's history, surely. It is the start of our campaign for Hearts Senior Cup glory. <laughs> Can we win it? There's only one way to find out. That's where we start a rocky road. Um, and also, of course, it's Fans Forum. So that's a really interesting day for a lot of fans, I know. Um, the club's owner, Lawrence Bassini, and manager, Sean Dyche. Um, Graham Taylor, of course, and uh, a couple of other luminaries will be there answering the fans' questions. So, um, obviously, the real focus is going to be at the uh, Hearts Senior Cup. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, hopefully, some interesting stuff will come out of that fans' forum, and we'll be uh, we'll be talking about some of the questions we hope to get asked a bit later on. Definitely. And uh, also, uh, we'll be uh, getting an insight into the Wolves' lone E we have at the moment, Michael Kitely, uh, in his first few days here at, at Watford. I can't wait. Shall we crack on, then, boys? Let's go. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from. 
from the rookery end. We're still watching the uh, under-18s game now, and we're, we're joined by uh, Ross Wilson, who's the uh, head of football business here at Watford. For folks about podcasts is this sort of the player development. How do you get from the academy to being a, a first-team regular? What's your role in, in that sort of part of the role? And what, should, what, you know, what, is, what is the head of football business, CD? Well, Nick and I, to answer your first question there, Nick and I spend a lot of time on what we call succession planning, which is looking at all of our academy squads from the age of eight and nine right through to the under-18 squads, planning where we've got gaps, the gaps then direct our recruitment, or the areas of weakness then direct our recruitment and direct our recruitment staff on the ground. So succession planning then means when we move further up the, the academy ladder, we know when we've got a, a potential first-team right-back slot into either a cover or a development slot in the next year or two years, and then that may then affect the contractual decision we make in terms of the new incoming first-team player. So could, could you be in a situation where... They're at a younger age, but you know in a few years' time that there's just not going to be a space for that position. So that's what about my reason why a player doesn't kind of get taken on professionally? Probably the other way about, to be honest. We, we would know that, for example, um, we've got an exceptional young goalkeeper at this moment in time, in our opinion, within the academy. So we wouldn't want to be signing a goalkeeper on a three- or a four-year contract, a senior goalkeeper here, because we want to create space for this lad to come through. So it probably works on the opposite side of the scale, rather than a kid moving on because there's a first-team blocker in, the, okay. in his place. You also part of your job is that about is that about player recruitment in a, in a senior yeah, position. Yeah, to, to answer that one, my my job is uh, to head up football business, which is the negotiations um, on our current players' contracts. Um, negotiations to bring players to the club that have been identified by our recruitment network and then endorsed by the manager or players that the manager wants to bring to the club that we then try and engage in uh, discussions to bring the player here or players out out the way as well Um, logistically things like the medical side the sports science side to make sure that that manages smoothly Um, we've brought Dave Hart here a new head of medical so ensuring that he transitions well into the club um, help him with anything that he wants to set up and change at the club um, and football administration comes under my remit as well. So we've got uh, administration staff who look after things like whereabouts, the FA's anti-doping programmes, um, and just everything like that. So everything that really goes on around the football department is my remit, uh, other than anything that's technical. And my definition of technical is coaching and team selection and player selection and, and those, all that. In the, you know, looking back in the day and what football managers used to do, they'd probably do all that and, <laughs> and everything. So you more or less like free up... Yeah, the manager to, to focus on the... Yeah, that's, that's the idea. I think every club would have a, a head of football business or a general manager or football operations some in that type of role now, and that's exactly the idea. that um, The game has grown to an extent that managers probably don't have time or sometimes a skill set, or if they ever even had the skill set, some of them, to, to manage what's expected of them. You know, So, for example, budgets and um, speaking to scouts and speaking to a million agents a week and... Uh, managing medical and sports science departments and what I was talking about there about academy with succession planning so that's the idea behind the role is that it, it takes that side of things away from the, the manager and it's a club appointment where you're looking after the best interests of the club um, over the long term irrespective of how long I'm here or a manager's here or a chief executive's here the, the idea is that it looks after the best interests of the club going forward So how, how did you get to, to be in this role so what's your background for I was, um, I've been seven years in a similar position in Scotland um, with a club called Falkirk um, we undergone the, a massive change there we took the club to the Premier League stayed there for five seasons it was the most successful period in the history of the club established the academy to be one of the leading academies in the country 
produced a club record sale, FA Cup final, two League Cup semi-finals. So it was a really, really successful period there. And then this opportunity came up here and it was a, a really a career move for me, one that's, that I've enjoyed so far. You didn't realise you were going to get a job interview, did you? <laughs> so from a fan's, fan's point of view, Ross, hugely challenging jobs. I can, easy to see, they're both really tricky tasks. I mean, we're here watching the under-18s today. Can you just talk us through how these guys are going to get from on the pitch here to on the pitch at Vicarage Road? What are the hoops they'd have to go through? Yeah, well, already, for example, Tommy Hoban's playing there today and Sean Murray's playing there today. So already the fans have had brief glimpses of those lads. These, on a, a day-to-day basis, would normally train. All of these players would normally train with David Hughes. Uh, Nick and I brought David Hughes here um, got about a month ago now um, from Shrewsbury Town. He heads up the under-18 group. When those, those players are doing particularly well, um, David would recommend to Nick and I that he thinks the players are about growing this group in terms of day-to-day activity. Um, that, that then normally provides a pathway to the first team where they'll train on a day-to-day basis with the manager and his staff um, and then they would then decide whether they think the player's ready to make a, a transition into the first team group. We also, although we don't play in a competitive reserve league anymore, we're playing probably two development squad games a month, roughly two a month, um, and the majority of that development group would be made up of some of these lads and lads who have progressed from the academy and sit probably just under the first team at this moment in time. Lads like Ross Jenkins, for example, right now. So Tommy and, and Sean, you mentioned there, would they, they're training with the first team at the moment, they'd be training with that first team squad? Between the both, they're between both at the moment and spending some time with the first team and some time with this group here um, at this moment in time. But I think, I think Watford fans will be delighted to hear that word, succession planning, because I think one of the things that Watford fans have been proud of over the last couple of years is the way that those youth players have come through. Yeah. I mean, we've seen glimpses of Sean and, and Tommy looking yeah. forward to seeing them. Yeah. And I mean, even people like Marvin, who yeah. are all of a sudden a sort of established um, but I mean this year it feels a little bit like we've seen less of the, the youth team players coming yeah. through and I'm, I'm sure you'll probably tell me this is a question for sure but in terms of how you feel about that seeing less less of the youth team players in the in the first team that's a question for sure <laughs> <laughs> no not at all um, when Sean came in and, and got the manager's job he obviously had an idea of what he wanted to do in terms of adding um different types of players to the group um, his concept is that some of those players that he wanted to bring will aid these young players in the in the short and medium term um, and I suppose you're judging that over, over the short and medium term I suppose so um, there has to be opportunities for young players because you touched on it I think the supporters have all been very very proud of what's going on here but not only that I think everybody at the club is very very proud of the academy setup that Watford has here um, and the biggest, the biggest fundamental influence behind the success of an academy is opportunity. So, without opportunity, that success won't be the same. We, but we, you know, we haven't seen in the first team. Um, the lot of players are going out on loan. How does the loan system fit in for, you know, again, the, the, that development for those players just below the first team? What you have, you, I think you always, you always have to treat academy players as individuals. So there's never one direct pathway which will suit every single player. So at this moment in time, there's a, a couple of the players who have featured in the first team already have gone out on loan. Um, so Sean would make a decision that that player's not going to be part of his first team group for the next month, for example. It might be two months. Um, and he would then consider it being his best interest that he goes out on loan because he has to have game time. Um, in that situation, it's set up to us in the football administration side to find that loan move and Nick and I would normally work together to find the, the right partner club for the player to go, to go out and loan. We talk um, about creating links and partnerships up and down the football pyramid um, both at academy level and, uh, and at first team level which is to ensure that we've got clubs. So for example that Gavin Massey's on loan at Yeovil um, Yeovil's track record 
isn't about developing their own players, but they've been absolutely magnificent in developing other people's players by taking them on loan. They've did it successfully with Tottenham and Arsenal a couple of times. So Gavin Massey's loan move is a great example of a partnership up and down the pyramid where um, they'll provide a great opportunity for him to come back and then make a big contribution to Watford. Hopefully. OK. The big thing that's been in the press the last couple of weeks is the EPPP. Is that enough P's? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Jason? Plenty enough. What, 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 so let's let's just do it just in case someone hasn't heard the detail. What is the EPPP? Okay, this, is, this is from the, the Guardian. Yes. OK. Elite player performance plan is a vote that was passed by the Football League clubs 46 to 22 with three no-shows and one abstention. EPPP... Replaces, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> replaces the current tribunal system which assesses player valuations based on evidence from each club. The new system will mean a selling club is paid £3,000 per year for every year of a player's development between the ages of 9 and 11. The fee per year from 12 to 16 will range between £12,500 and £40,000. Top clubs will also be exempted from the current rules preventing them from signing under-16s who live more than 90 minutes travelling distance away or an hour for under-12s, allowing them to scout and sign players from anywhere in the country. Had clubs rejected the plan, the Premier League would have withheld their funding for youth development, which is currently more than £5 million per season. So how is this going to change things at Watford, and how much can the club invest in the Harefield Academy? Our our line on things at the moment is we were disappointed um, at what we thought was a lack of transparency surrounding the process in the early parts. We didn't think we had enough information coming from the Premier League to aid us to make a business decision as to where we then see the academy, one, within our organisation and two, in the wider context of English football. But now to park that, because the thing has gone through, it's been passed, and we know we now know much of what's going to happen in the future, and we see it as a real, real opportunity for Watford. This club has made massive strides in, in its investment in the academy in recent years, Harefield being the biggest one of those investments. In effect, a, a large part of what EPPP is about is encouraging clubs to do what Watford's already done. Um, there are a number of other dimensions to that, so we, we'll see where that where that goes. So, the criteria is still in draft form at the moment. We have seen one of those drafts, although not a final draft, um, because that's not that's not out there yet. We we think this club is perfectly set up to be a category one club. If our belief proves to be true, then EPP will prove to be good for Watford going forward. If we're a category two club, um, we think that's the wrong category for us to be in. Um, at this moment in time, that's Nick and I talking. That's not the board talking or the owner talking. That's Nick and I's view at this moment in time. Uh, we're formulating a plan to take the club to Category 1, which we will then require the board and the owner to support. I'm, I'm not sure I'm a, I'm a knee-jerk reaction as a supporter. I'm the one that probably gets angry and stamps my feet. And, and from, a, from a cynical point of view, it strikes me that the, the football clubs that will have voted for EPPP will be the ones without a set-up like we've got. Um, they've probably got a they've probably got hundred grand a year that they pay to two coaches to look after their youth teams, and the seventy grand or whatever they get from the Premier League covers that, so they don't want to lose that. Whereas we've obviously got loads invested. Yeah. So from that point of view, it, yeah. it's scary. We're yeah. proud of what we've done, and yeah. it looks. At, and, the, and the other thing is, it it does feel like the Premiership are trying to get all their ducks in a row just to make it easier for those sides who have already benefiting from bigger TV deals, bigger sponsorship deals, bigger corporate deals, and they're just trying to get their ducks in a row to come and take players for less money. Um, and it sounds to me like if we get to, you, you sound a lot more confident than we do as fans, that if we get Category 1, that might not necessarily happen. But, I mean, how would you feel if any of these guys, Tommy Hoban, for example, comes along, previously you'd be looking for a, a million quid, yeah. we're looking at getting 50 grand? No, you're bang on. You're bang on. That, that's, what, that's one of the reasons that I spoke about Category 1, because if, if we are a Category 1 club, then 
the, the very, very biggest clubs in this country wouldn't then be able to come and take a Tommy Hoban, for example. That would be one of the, probably the biggest benefit of being a Category 1 club, that our players would have much more protection than they would if we were a Category 2, Category 3, a Category 4, Category 4 club. That's probably the biggest driver behind Category 1 for us because we've made a lot of investment here uh, in the academy in recent years. Um, so to protect the investment you've already made, we think there needs to be further investment, um, almost like an insurance policy against the investment you've already made, uh, which protects our players. So if Nick and I's plan is formulated and works, then um, your theory about one of these big clubs coming and stealing one of our young players for next to nothing yeah, which wouldn't, it would wouldn't, be. Yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't then happen. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it's, and, it's, and it's not reflective of the value of some of these young men. Ross, I mean, uh, I've, read, I've only read outline things, and I know that the category one, it's all about how much, how much, how much the coaching staff you have, and, and the, is it the, the, the amount cri- that's invested? No, or? no, no, it's criteria driven. Um, it's absolutely criteria driven, and it's criteria which they which they think will drive up the standards in youth development. And again, time would tell whether that would be the case or not. Um, the initial drafts suggested that um, part of the criteria, each criteria, sorry, each category, um, would be dictated by the amount you spend in youth development per year. They have a minimum recommended spend but if a club can demonstrate success on a, on a lesser spend then that, that's that's allowed as well so but we, we in terms of the minimum spend at category one level we we wouldn't be far off that at this moment in time. Okay so that combined with our track records it's going to stand us in good stead. Yeah, it can be hopeful at this stage. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that for me is really important as well. That Scotland's going through a similar process at this moment in time, and, and at my previous club for the last year, I've been talking about that. That, that club's been massively successful up there and producing players for the first team, producing players for international teams and selling players on. Very, very similar to what's happened here. So I think that must be taken into account, and it will be taken into account, that clubs that can prove that they do what they're supposed to do, which is to produce players, one for, for Watford and two for the, for the English game and for the national, the national team as well, have to be given credit for that. Not from now going forward, but historically, if they've proven to, to have done that in recent years, then they, they must be given credit for that. Presumably we could just put together a PowerPoint uh, presentation with one slide, just a big picture of Ashley Young. But you mentioned the two prongs to your work, Ross. We've touched on the youth side, the develop, development of the academies and so forth, but, but player recruitment on a, on a senior level, yeah. um, I mean, we all know, we're all realistic to know that we've got sort of um, limits and so on and so forth. Yeah. But what are the big... What are the toughest things you face trying to get players into to Watford? The in the championship clubs of clubs of transitioned transition now to an extent where you, I think you're going to have clubs at any time who blow the whole thing out of the water so this year it's Leicester uh, Southampton's another one to be fair that, that you know they've got big 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 budgets and it makes it very difficult for us to attract players that they would be in the market for so that rules out established championship types if you like in most cases um, that's probably the biggest challenge um, it's, a, it's a positive positive club when you it's a club that players want to join it's a club that when you speak to agents uh, you know on behalf of their, their clients that they, they find attractive they've saw players come here before and been very successful whether it be on loan or permanently Danny Graham coming and moving on to, to the Premiership now so it's a club that's attractive so there isn't a lot of challenges other than other than finance and the, the level of salary that we can pay as, to, as opposed to the majority of other championship clubs is probably the biggest hurdle and, and, and maybe even the only hurdle Oh, hello, Mr Kitely. I hear you're down at Watford on a month's loan and after a hire car. Yes, please. Something a bit nippy and quick, just like me. Oh, yes, very good, sir. Now, let me just put in some details. 
So it's something fast, yes? And what colour? I like black cars. Fast and black. So you clearly don't want to drive a Chris Irulumo. <laughs> oh, sorry, how rude. Now, do you want all the mod cons? Yeah. If I turn up in training and it's not a flash car, all the lads will take the Michael out of me. <laughs> oh, take the Michael. Again, very good, sir. OK, I have the car for you. It's a 1982 Pontiac Trans Am. And if I press here, then it will bring it around the front for you. Oh, brilliant. Here are your keys, sir. Enjoy your time at Watford. Uh, hang on, mate. Aren't you going to give me a rundown of how it works and where I can plug in my iPhone? Oh, no, there's no need. All right, then. Wow. Check this out. That is a lot of buttons. Now, where's the ignition? Just press the big red button on your left, Michael. What the...? You don't really have to do anything, Michael. My name is Kit, which stands for Night Industries 2000, and I'm the most advanced car in the world. Right. OK. How fast can you go? Well, with my turbo boost, Michael, I can hit in excess of 200 miles per hour. That is amazing. So if you're Kit, then that makes me... Yes, Michael, your kitely rider. Wasn't that a very long sketch for essentially one average joke? Well, after all, this is from the rookery end. Read the musings and ramblings on the podcast blog at fromtherookeryend.com. Tuesday, 8th November, is going to be a big day for the club. Three days after fireworks day, it's always a first date in my diary. <laughs> um, firstly, it is the first fans' form of the season, with Sean Dyche, Graham Taylor and Lawrence Bassini taking the stage to answer fans' questions. It's the first time fans will be able to ask questions directly of our new owner, Mr Lawrence Bassini. Now, we talked a lot about the man on the last podcast. Mike, you weren't there, but you listened to it. Yeah, well, can I actually put up on that? It was nice to get a welcome back, by the way. Not even a minute oh, oh, Are they feeling unloved? I'll give him a hug. For the benefit of the, of the listener, <laughs> I am I'm hugging I'm, Mike. I'm pleased that Curtis is here, but I can't help but feel he's overshadowing my return. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting a bit more. Anyway. So you've got to listen, listen to the last podcast as a listener. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was very good. And um, it was great to hear, hear you guys chatting away. And I've obviously had time big chats he had was about about the owner the Mr Bassini and I think Lionel picked up on the key thing that presumably has been going through most Watford fans mind has certainly been going through mine which is we'd like to know why he's here and why he's involved um, I don't mean that in an overly negative or uh, way but we all know that football's a tough business to make any sort of money out of he's a businessman why is he here what does he see in, in this club that he can that he can he can do really. No, we are we're not going to go to the fans for him because no. we're going somewhere else, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yep. But we've we've come up with five questions that we we hope that Watford fans will ask at that fans forum. So, so number one, Mr. Bassini, why did you in, decide to invest in football? It's a question that sort of surely is on everybody's lips. How many how many people in football make any money out of it in terms of investment? I mean, even at Man City, you've got a question: Are they going to see anything back from their investment? No, no. unlikely. Roman Abramovich, are he going to see anything back from his no. investment? These are people playing at the top top echelons of the game. They're not going to make any cash. So, why why get involved with a club like Watford, who, with all the will in the world, we're not going to win many trophies this season? Maybe we might not even win anything next year. <laughs> <laughs> so, why did you choose to invest in football? And that leads me on to. Why did you decide to invest in Watford? So we've discussed sort of football as a whole as being quite hard to invest in and make money. We've talked about those top clubs, 
it's hard to make money with really good big clubs. People have tried and failed. You look at the Hicks, Hicks saga at Liverpool, they thought they could make some money out of Liverpool. Failed. So why do you think, Mr Bassini, that you can come to Watford and A, make money if that's what you want to do, or B, turn it into a success? Why Watford? Why did you choose Watford? Uh, from a fan's point of view, uh, my understanding is he's not a Watford fan. I don't know if you correct me on that, but I don't think he's a Watford fan. There's no historic links with him. So he is now. Well, you'd like to think so. I mean, it's whatever, he's, whatever he's here for, it's in his interest to support the team. So uh, I haven't seen him in a Watford shirt, I have to say. But um, so, why, but why Watford? He's, you know, we're, we're joking around it a little bit. We're, we're being semi-serious, but the, the issue is that it is an absolutely vital one. What's that third question, Mike? Mr. Bassini, what would be a successful tenure? What would mark a successful tenure for you at Watford? So, what are the goals? Well, you know, what are the targets you've set? I'm sure, as a businessman, you've set targets, you've set goals. What are they? Let's let's hear about those. Question four. Um, Timeline for stadium developments. You've spoken, you've gone public about talking about how you're going to finish off Vicarage Road. Your plans for that? What we haven't heard is any sort of time time scales. Uh, it'd be helpful. I don't think Watford fans have lived with the East Stand since what was it about 1312? <laughs> <laughs> so we're not in a massive rush to get. We'd like, obviously, we'd like to get it done, but. If it's going to be take two years, three years, five years, that's fine. But we need to know. Surely, mm. taking over a club with with issues like the East End and like the South, is it the Southwest Corner? Yeah. By the, the Rookery, corner, yeah. that obviously needs doing. As a business owner, you've got to have plans for that when you take over. Share those with us. I was the thing I, in what you said so far in the press. It's it's here's a hopeful date. Here's a hopeful date. If I want a firm date, even if it is a 50 years in the future, just a firm date of when these things yeah, are going to happen look, and be realistic. Look, if you're a businessman, you've got plans. And you, you don't invest big money, which, you know, let's, we're not talking peanuts when, uh, uh, when you're getting involved in football teams. You, you don't, woolly dates don't cut it. Uh, so, you know, let's have some dates. And question five. Money's a thorny issue, and we don't expect people to reveal the, um, the full extent of their bank accounts or clubs trading, profit and loss accounts, all that sort of stuff. But the, the, the stadium redevelopment, new players... Bond repayments we know we've got coming up. There's lots of debt issues. We don't understand all the ins and outs, but we know there's going to be lots of money going out of the club, lots of money required to keep the club going and moving forward. Where's that coming from? Is that, is that money just that's just been reinvested from player sales? Or is money coming in externally? You know, where's, where's this money coming from? What's the, where's the money, the life, which is a lifeblood to a football club these days? Let's be clear about that. Where is that money coming from? The event is already full to capacity, but don't worry. We've had a chat to our friends at BBC Three Counties. That is going to be live on all BBC Two Counties frequencies. And Curtis, who's back in America, uh, it is going to be live on Hornets. So you can hear all the tough questions. Don't be, don't be shy. These are questions. This is our club, and this is a time. Um, the, you know, he's made himself available, which is good, which is a positive step. He's proved he's willing to talk to fans. So let's not waste it. Let's be, let's let's talk to him. Let's ask him those questions. Um, there's no need to go in negative. There's no need to assume that there's anything but good plans ahead but these questions need to be asked we need to take responsibility for finding out what's going on in our club you don't need you know let's work on the basis that it's going to go well but we need to be known we need to know we're investing in this club with our season tickets shirt sales you know listening downloading this podcast everything we do is investing time money and effort into this football club it's only right and proper that we try and find out what's going on we're not going to be there we're going to be uh, Watford game. Now, now, Curtis, how many trophies have you heard about uh, over here in England? Can you name, what kind of trophies can you name? Um, the FA Cup. Yeah. Uh, the Carlin Cup. Yeah. The uh, Johnson Payne Trophy. Definitely. Good. Um, have you ever heard of the Hertfordshire Senior Cup before? No, what is that? Well, the Hertfordshire Senior Cup is something that's been going for, well, 
over 100 years, and it's a collection of all the clubs from Hertfordshire in a knockout competition. Watford have won it on many occasions. Last time we won it was in 2003-2004 season under the guidance of Sir Nigel Gibbs. Uh, it was a reserve team, but in that team was Richard Lee, Adrian Mariapa and Ashley Young. Now, we're going to be going to this game, and uh, it's away at Bishop Stortford. Now, there isn't going to be any coverage of this game on, uh, on live commentary anywhere, so if you want to keep up to date with the game, you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash rookeryend or on our Twitter feeds at rookeryjohn at Rookery Mike and at Jace Bailey. Mike, you went a bit of a, a, a piece in today's programme against uh, Peterborough in the Peterborough game pr- programme. Is it, a big, is it a big thing that Watford should be, be worrying about and well, taking lots of investment in? I started thinking about this when Watford got knocked out of the Carling Cup at um, Bristol Rovers. And in the early rounds of the Carling Cup, the, the fashionable thing these days is to slate the Carling Cup, say so it's a bit of a tin pot trophy, it doesn't really mean anything. But as I sat down, it was probably the thing so as those third round games were taking place I was thinking you know what I wish we were involved I, you know every game what for player I want to win so like an extension of that I thought well if we're going to be in the Hart Senior Cup don't we surely we want to win that as well and that's the big reason we're going to be going to that game yeah um, and We'll be doubling the attendance. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, and with any luck, we'll be seeing some of these guys that we've got here yeah. on the pitch today yeah. playing in a, in a more competitive environment, I guess. And, well, you know, I know, it's, I know people might say it's only Bishop Stortford away, but that must be massive for Bishop Stortford wow. and their players. And, they, they, you, you know, in terms yes. of a tough place to go, it could be a very tough place to go. It's a chance for them to test themselves. And I think, Jason, you made the really good point that there's another, another chance for these players that we're watching today to, uh, to, to extend their football edu- education continue their career going on the right trajectory we've spoken today about player development and how we're going to get these players to, to first team level and games like that which will be a competitive game make no mistake about it are absolutely vital in making sure that these players can make the step up from these younger age groups up to the first team now, so, Curtis you've popped over for, for literally 48 hours almost for this Watford um, game against Peterborough this afternoon will you do the same for the senior cup game um, I'll see what my schedule looks like ok that's good it's a maybe Got something to send the boys? Then email podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Still to come on this episode of From the Recreant, we have some more objects to put in a list of Watford in 100 objects. Plus, we'll be having an interview with Craig Forsyth, which we recorded a few weeks ago. But Jason, who have we been joined by? Here with Tommy Hoban, just finished playing against Spurs in the Academy Premier League, is it? Uh, yeah, Academy Premier League. Two all draw in the end, yeah. it looked like a, an entertaining game. Quite competitive out there, is it always like that? It is, well, yeah, well, it depends what teams play against, really, but whenever you play against the top Prem teams, you know you're always in for a big game. They're like just the badge and stuff can intimidate some people but today didn't affect us and especially in the second half great performance for us so yeah, yeah. You, won't, you won't be able to see this but Tommy's got a rather fetching black eye yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't got know that. if it's a domestic incident or <laughs> no, no, I got that in the week for reserves against Forest yeah I got an elbow yeah. take, oh, take him on for the team Tommy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how's the season started generally for the team and for yourself at the start we didn't have a manager actually and we only had a part time guy in so for all the pre-season we didn't have anyone but um, Dave came in about three weeks ago and he's like it's all settling down now and it's going well he's like setting up sort of his style of play sort of which allows us to play football and stuff and um, I play out from the back and yeah it's going well I'm enjoying it and just 
hopefully be pushing first team back in the near future, hopefully, so yeah. So you're one of the taller lads, and you have that sort of, uh, near the end of the game when it was a draw, you, you, you get to go forward a bit, do you? Yeah, basically, whenever there's corner, free kick, long throw, whatever, yeah, but I, I haven't scored, in, I didn't score one goal last season, so oh, okay. it's coming though, don't worry. Come on, come on, Tommy, <laughs> you haven't sake. I know, I know. Yeah, you mentioned you're sort of hoping to get in and around the first team. Yeah, yeah. Are you training with those guys quite a bit at the moment? Um, I train, I'd say, most, quite a few Fridays I usually train with them, and maybe one other day during the week but it depends on you know, what they need really like the managers just brought in another sort of loan centre-back from Sunderland Norsworthy so I don't, know, I don't know if he'll be involved so much like right now but hopefully in you know in a month by Christmas time hopefully I'll be looking to be you know, training how different is it training with with the guys that we've seen out there today and, and training with that first team? How do you feel that? Is it, is it um, hard work or is it more intimidating? Or? Yeah, well, last year when I sort of started training with the main stuff up, it was a lot more physical, like game so much quicker and stuff, and yeah, it's a lot slower. Like it's a lot like less physical and slower with the eating, but I think once I go there, like I can sort of deal with the step up. Like once you do it a few times, you get used to it. And you know what to expect, really. But, yeah. and, and talk to us about John Eustace in training. What's he like in training? Yeah, he's uh, got a bit of banter about him. Gets, gets <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's, he's brilliant, though. he's like, a great example to us all, tries to uh, basically just look up to him, like, he's where we want to be really in 10 years' time. So, so um, your first senior appearance was at Preston North End, um, what's your biggest memory from that that day and uh, how did that day help your development uh, and make, make you become the player you are today? It was uh, it's definitely one of the best days of my life. Well, to be honest, when I was going up there, I didn't, I had no idea that I'd even be on the bench. I thought I might just be travelling. And then the morning um, before the game, I got told that I was on the bench. But even then, I, I didn't expect to come on. And then 20 minutes in, I see Taylor hobbling, and my heart's just racing, <laughs> my head's going. But um, yeah, and when I came on, it was yeah, it was the most nervous five minutes like ever. But once you settle down, you does end up feeling like a normal game. Yeah, you're, I didn't really notice the crowd to be honest. Like by by the end of it and yeah it was just this unbelievable experience brilliant yeah and you've had a bit of uh, international success as well you've made the breakthrough there yeah I've um last year I was with the 17s so I was sort of um we, we were unlucky we almost qualified for the finals but like, a last minute goal from Denmark put us out but um it's the Republic of Ireland the Republic yeah yeah, yeah not Northern <laughs> <laughs> but um we can tell from your accent yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, I get that a lot. Actually, a lot of stick from the Irish, whereas fake Irish. But, yeah, um, yeah. But now this year I'm with the 19, so it's sort of like I'm sort of playing up for like a year, but which is obviously really good and stuff. But um, yeah, we just got back from Bulgaria. We won two and lost one, but we we still qualified. So hopefully in the new year we'll push on again. Hopefully get to the finals like they did last year, the 19s for Ireland. So yeah. Do you, I say, do you notice a difference in level of ability when you play in the international games compared to here? Um, it's very different. Like, oh, the refs are so like you can't literally just. It's like, you hear about it, but it is as bad as you hear literally just one touch and they give a foul. And it's a lot. It's a lot more technical. I'd say you might get a little bit more time in the ball. Well, it depends what team you're playing against, really. But um, but it's it is a higher standard than youth team. I'd say it's closer to sort of reserve sort of standard of football. But um, it's yeah, it's brilliant when you're there. Like, Representing country, everything's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. And Watford fans have heard a lot about yourself, and I mean, no, Sean, Sean Moore is out there today. Yeah, heard a lot about him, and yeah. perhaps Connor as well. Yeah. But are there any uh, any players out there today that we should be looking out for? Any other Watford ones? Um, I'd say all of them. Well, that performance, they all done well, didn't they? But um, I don't know. There's, there's a young lad, Austin. In the, he didn't actually start. So he played. He's been involved with the reserves quite a bit. He's very good on the ball. And the boy came on Morgan. I think he was. He's decent, yeah, and he's um, he came from Arsenal actually, so another one 
one one for the future maybe. But well, yeah, makes a nice change. That's yeah, yeah. poaching from the bigger teams instead yeah. of the other way around. Um, so in terms of your hopes for the rest of the season, Tommy, how would you? What would you say? Um, to, to be honest, I'm I'm hoping to but like after Christmas, I'm hoping to push on and change the first team a bit more. And yeah, basically, I hopefully get maybe a couple more games towards the end of the season. Just develop, get stronger physically, and hopefully get a good run in the youth cup, which is. Yeah, that's the best thing as well for at youth level, which is like you get to play in the stadiums and all that. So that's yeah, that's the goal really. Hopefully, just push on and get more with the first team for me. But yeah, a podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Here it is, a collection of historic and intriguing items that define Watford Football Club. Oh, it's Watford in a hundred objects. Our search for 100 objects that define Watford Football Club continues. We're up to number 12, and. Up to, 10% of the way through already. Over 10% of the way. Unbelievable. Uh, the objects are there to define what for football club. They could be objects that define the historic moments of the club or they could be objects that define personal fan moments. Our first object this month is an anatomically correct Harry the Hornet costume from the mid-90s. Nick Young emailed us with the idea. Hi, guys. <clears throat> He's not 13. <laughs> Hi, guys. Can I recommend the Harry the Hornet costume as one of the 100 objects? Specifically, I mean the 90s one that had the tail section, Harry's ass, and therefore actually looked like a hornet, not the current one. Say what you like about mascots. I am not much a fan, if the truth be told, but they have been part of the footballing scene in this country for two decades now. And before being a wage slave in a costume, Harry was a cartoon character in programs of the 80s. And it can even claim direct descent from a serious-looking hornet who was on the club badge before making way for the Red Heart slash move circa 1980. So as part of the club's history. Absolutely. I think, I think uh, mascots get a raw deal. I think people forget that the Hornet did feature on the badge. I think it's an important point. My thing of it is, actually, I've got a, a young niece who uh, never into what's the badge. Every time she comes over, she wants to see the Harry Hornet video that's on YouTube. And I, we never had that when we were kids. I think in terms of getting younger kids excited about football and coming to Watford matches, Harry is a massive part of that. But, of course, we do have a responsibility. Oh, I love Harry the Hornet. Obviously, he's, he's Harry, 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 Harry. But should he have his tail? I don't think so, because it didn't look quite right. And he had lots of... He, the old Harry Hornet had lots of arms, and that didn't do anything, and that just looked... He looked, looked like an weird. extra from Ants. <laughs> he certainly did. Now, there have been a few different uh, designs of Harry Hornet, um, and the rumour has it, Jason, mm-hmm. that the original one was kept. Yeah, I, I would call it Lodger's rights, from what I've heard. <laughs> the the, ru- the rumour is that the guy in this uh, original costume, the one from the, the 90s, uh, did he have a disagreement with the club and, with and that. decided that... Um, as he was in possession of the uh, the costume, he would hang on to it. So he, that, he, does, he, does, he, does he drive around like the stick now with the Harry Hornet hat? Stopping to scare people at traffic lights. Just goes, <laughs> What's but your he, name, sir? He was speeding and he was uh, Harry. <laughs> uh, your surname? T Hornet. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do see a man doing that around Watford, do shout. Our second object is a memory of a cult. Hero. Well, not in memory, he's not dead. <laughs> in respect of... No, that sounds like he's dead as well. For a, a cult hero, Craig Ramage from uh, from Watford in the mid-90s. It's a cool-as-Craig T-shirt. Now, we got to meet up with Craig at the London Masters where he scored a spectacular goal to win Watford, uh, Watford the game. We, we got to meet up with Craig and, uh, we, and actually gave him a special version of his cool-as-Craig T-shirt. Yeah, that's the one. 
Yeah, we've got to put that down, haven't we? Yeah. Cool. Can I have that? Yeah. Yeah, that exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My missus still got it. It's an arty. She wants fresh. I was going to say, it's the, the one that's got to go in the Hudson yeah. It's got to be the one your missus wears. Yeah. It's got, she wears that in bed, yeah. We've got to have that. So when you, so, when you saw that, what did you think when you first saw that? It's nice, you know what I mean? Fans think something of you, you know what I mean? But yeah, I thought the fans are brilliant. They've, they made that for me, you know what I mean? So I was well happy with that. I'm not lying, I don't think it's hard to notice, but he clearly had a couple of beers in celebration after winning the London Masters. And that was brilliant, because that's what I expected Craig Ramage to be like when I met him. And he didn't let me down. It was, almost, it was almost like being around a pop star. He sort of walked out the back, the back entrance to Wembley, Wembley Arena to be greeted with like, what seemed like hundreds of screaming, adoring fans. <laughs> he swaggered out in his sort of pink shirt with a sort of drink on the go. And uh, yeah, it was like being in, it was certainly being around greatness. It was, uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. And he was, uh, like John says, he's larger than life and nice to meet someone who actually fits up to fits the memory of how you remember him so good on you Craig yeah thanks a lot Craig and uh, so he's got a special object in there so we've got a t-shirt in that means that's the only t-shirt we're actually allowed to have in the list our third object is our first ever Elton John object and I think we'll probably have a few of these in the hundred and Gary Costa emailed us don't know if you've got this but Elton John's 1970 album A Single Man should be in the Watford 100 objects list the team doing backing vocals on the song Georgia a classic it was featured on the big match Elton praised right back John Sturk Sturk and Keith Pritchard were on my paper round cheers Gary Costa I didn't know that no well done Gary fantastic amazing and I looked it up and you go on YouTube and you you can find the video, which is clearly on some television programme, and there's the Watford team behind Elton John playing on the piano, singing along. I found the video, it's on the blog, um, and it's immense. And this, if, you're not, if you don't know the song, it wasn't one of Georgia, it wasn't one of his big hits, but if you don't know what it sounds like, this is what it sounds like. I got everything that a man can need, but it still ain't quite love. Talking about a whole Georgia, take me to reminds me of uh, when Elton did one of those audience with things and I think Taylor, Jacket and Luther sang Saturday Night's All Right for fighting with him on, on the telly. <laughs> I do recall. The fourth object is a Watford mug. Not me. Before <laughs> we had an email from Tim Turner and Tim writes a blog called Albert McLennan's Throw-In and Other Stories. And our, sp- and our challenge inspired him and he's actually done a rundown of all the Watford memorabilia that he has in his house. I don't think it was us at his bar. It was clearly his wife. (laughs) (laughs) What is all this yellow tat? (laughs) You can read the full list on whatforthrowing.blogspot.com. But he emailed us. Hi, guys. If I had to nominate one item for your list, it would be the first one. A coffee mug that must be nearly 40 years old. It still gets used regularly, maintaining a link between the 11-year-old boy who got it as a present years before I ever tasted coffee or tea, and the 40-year-old me, still watching the same team at the same ground, drinking at the same mug. And it's a classic mug. It's actually got the angry Harry Hornet. Huh? That's totally correct. Uh, well, yeah, why not? No. It was, uh, <laughs> it was the original, original Watford badge on the side of it, and you can tell that it's drunk a lot of cups of tea. Through say, good and through bad. I've got to say, I love the mug. I don't think there's many Watford fans out there who haven't at one stage or another had a, had a Watford mug. Curtis, have you ever had a Watford mug out there in Denver? 
actually happened. Well, we're going to Hornet Shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my dad used to have a mug, and he would think he wouldn't drink if he didn't drink out of it. Watford won, and so for years it just stood on the top of the sh- of the oh, shelf in our kitchen that didn't go. N- never got used, but Watford won and Watford lost, <laughs> and it was it was it never nothing to do with it. And nothing better than an unfounded superstition. No, but thanks to Tim, Gary, Nick for sending in Super those suggestions. Stuff. If you have a suggestion of your own, email us podcast at fromtherookerend.com. We're only up to item number sixteen. We've got a long way to go yet. Keep them coming. When you grab a match day program, check out the From the Rookery End column. About to head off to Vickers Road for the first team game against Peterborough. So as we leave the training ground, here is our interview with Watford midfielder Craig Forsyth. He's, he's new so far from your listening across over there in Denver. What do you think about Craig Forsyth, uh, Curtis? Um, I think he's an excited young player. Um, I think he has a bright future at our club. Um, hopefully we get to hang on to him. Mm. And um, from I don't get to see him much because I don't listen to the games, but um, the sound like a kind of guy that... Uh, eventually fit well into uh, the type of team we're building here. Yeah, definitely had a couple of these great great bits and then he's still like developing and settling into England because he's, he's come down from Dundee over the summer, settling into the Championship. He's moved down south with a big part of our chat when we caught up with him a few weeks ago. Left midfield for Watford, you yeah. played left back most of your time at, at Dundee. Where did you play as a kid? Left midfield. Yeah, okay. I always played there and then went to Dundee and for some other reason or whatnot, I got moved and it just kind of stuck. And why did you change back to left midfield? Uh, it was a couple of years ago, just I think it was a reserve game and I played there and, and done well and it just kind of, again, stuck and I was, I was there ever since. Which would you say is your preferred position? Left midfield. Oh, yeah. okay. Chance on goal, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> you, were programming you, were, yeah. you were programming yourself into uh, Championship Manager or whatever it would be, Ellen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, do you ever um, speak to uh, Carl about what he should be doing better as a left back? No, no, leave no, that to no, him. No, I'll leave that to him. He's more experienced than me, so I'll leave that to him. Okay, also, you come down from Scotland. Been in the press a lot recently with the performances in Europe last week. Now, having played in both Scotland and in England, how do the two compare? Without being disrespectful, England's a higher, the championships a higher level than, than where I was playing anyway. The finances play a big part in that. Obviously, the setup here and in other clubs' stadiums, everything else is is a lot higher than up the road. But obviously, the money able to attract different players and higher, better players as well makes it a bigger difference as well. I think. Did you see it as a almost not not before you picked when you came to Watford, but did you go? You know, if I'm going to be something special in my career, I'm going to have to go down south. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's the way. I think a lot of players up the road look at it now as well. They they see England as a as an opportunity to to make a name for themselves almost and test themselves against better players than than up the road. Great heroes when you were growing up? Probably Ryan Giggs. He was at the peak at Man United and he's still doing it just now, which is a wee bit scary. But <laughs> so if you did have to get a name on the back of your shirt, it would be Giggs still, do you think? Despite his uh, extracurricular activities. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it probably still would be, yeah. How much stick do you get here at Watford, being a Scotsman? There's a fair bit, yeah, there's a wee bit. There's uh, Although the Scottish, Scottish contingent is growing. Me, McGinn and Big Chris. So. We've heard that Mr McGinn is a staunch... Yes. and he will defend yeah. Scotland He's, to the hilt. Uh, I would say he would, he would uh, defend Scotland in anything. <laughs> uh. So is he the most Scottish out of you, Chris and, and Steve McGinn? 
butter. I don't know, but he certainly comes across. He certainly, he would defend Scotland, I would say, more than me. I, I <laughs> kind of just have to sit and accept it sometimes, but he, uh, he'll he put up a fight, yeah. Were you, so were, you, were you at Dundee for your whole you know, kind of development from when you were a schoolboy? Yeah, I, I did train with them both when I was nine or ten, but picked Dundee and was there all the way through. How hard was it playing with the points deduction? Yeah, it was obviously at the time it was pretty horrible what was happening. You see some of your mates going out of a job and have nothing, no pay, nothing like that. And then the points, we thought, well, nobody expects us to, to get out of this, so we just kind of played with no fear. And at the end of the day, we, we got a few results, got on a run. And once we got back on positive points, we thought, right, this is where we can, can go on now. And, we never really looked back once we got past past the, the sort of second bottom team. Once we jumped them, we thought, right, we've got to keep going. And to be fair, the run we went on was something quite special, to be honest. So it sounds like when you were there, you were playing. You were very much a unit, very much a close close yeah. knit team because of the, obviously nasty circumstances mm-hmm. off the pitch brought you closer. We get the feeling from first fans looking on that Watford's very similar to that, very sort of close knit as a yeah, team. Yeah, everybody here's it's a similar situation. All the boys close, there's no groups or whatever and everybody gets on very well and there's one thing that can definitely help you is sort of siege mentality of you against everybody else yeah, and that's what we had last year at Dundee and it certainly helped us. And as, I mean we have to be honest, what would have been tipped not for promotion let's put it like that, mm. does that help as a squad to sort of galvanise you and say right let's go and prove everyone Yeah obviously that, if people are tipping you for the wrong end of the table then you want to go and prove them wrong and get up them kind of thing um, so that's our ambition is to to prove people wrong this year and show them that they were wrong to predict and, and I think you will I think you've been a, a big hit with the Watford fans already I think people li- have liked what they've seen chances for goals I think as well have you got to set yourself a target yeah, no I've got eight six, six the year before and then eight last year so ten this year then obviously <laughs> <laughs> well ten would be very good this year but uh, I've got to be realistic and say that this is my first season but why not kind of thing uh, your height is obviously an advantage and you can see you're good in the air mm-hmm. does that surprise any of the full backs that you come up against uh, I think probably just now the first few games it probably will because people obviously coming from Scotland they won't know a lot about me and it probably has surprised them a wee bit but I would uh, expect teams maybe to, to wisen up to it a wee bit and we'll wait and see we're not, we're not long into your Watford career but have you got a favourite moment so far uh, it's tough to be the debut goal yeah. I mean the first first start just gave him the championship uh, to score it didn't really get much better apart from the, the the two late goals to stop the three points but overall it was quite good for me to get a goal in the baby yeah a podcast made by Watford fans fans for Watford fans from the rookery end what a difference four days make it's now a Tuesday night uh, we've just left Watford one Brighton nil. Curtis has, has gone, unfortunately. He's gone back to Spain, where he's been watching more football over there before he goes back to Denver. But uh, Mike's uh, brother Andy, uh, he's, he's joined us. We've, so we've, watched, uh, we've watched two games in four days, Jason. That's great, wasn't it? <laughs> it's, a, it's better than, yeah, better than uh, defeats and draws. Two games, six points. Mm. Uh, a great first half for the, Peter, uh, for the Peterborough game. Five goals, okay, we didn't enjoy a couple of them, but uh, <laughs> we look so much better, so much more creative in that sort of final third, don't we? All of a sudden we create chances, even today, 1-0 game, um, and that's 
I think that sort of sums up Brighton over the last few weeks. Yeah. They look reasonably solid at the back, but we were causing them trouble, particularly in more, in more in the first half, I thought, where we created loads of chances early on. Before we do move on, I think it's worth saying that it, those two, while those two wins were excellent, and we are walking away from Vicarage Road mm. after the Brighton game feeling a lot better. They Hang on, wait, wait. You're not going to say something really pessimistic, are you? Huh? Right, just checking. Absolutely not. <laughs> But they were much needed. They were pressure oh, wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We absolutely needed to win those two Here's games. Here's the thing for you. If you came to this game tonight, after seeing a win on Saturday, yeah. and we performed well, but lost 1-0, would you still felt all right? Well, I think we're getting to the stage where we, what, we were almost desperate for a performance, even whether that mm. just got a point or a win or whatever, because the performances had been had been very poor, certainly at home. Well, good uh, performance, I think, shows progress, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We had to, we had to, we, I said before the... Uh, Peterborough game if we can get four points so we're probably doing well we'll have done well bearing in mind where we were coming from mm. uh, heartbreaking defeat at Hull and then some pretty dispiriting performances earlier on in yeah, the month yeah, yeah. so you know let's be clear about this had we not won these two games we would be we'd be very, having a very very different chat here yeah well I made a comparison to Mike in the first half about the derby game where we had a lot of, ch- a lot of chances it was nil nil we went on to lose and I thought oh it's got a feel of derby this mm. And we turned it round. We won one nil instead. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a sign of things. The t- tide turning. Shall we yeah, say. progress is what you said, John, and I think that's what we're what we're seeing. But I don't think I feel like the side is a bit more organised. Yeah, I th- it's, it's a, it's a, I'm not saying it, I can tell you why, I, I, but it's a feeling. I, I think so. Um, no, I'm nosworthy. A lot of people giving him sort of bad press when, when we made the signing me, me um, for one I've got ben, to do, that yeah. was his, his debut for Sheffield United here a couple of years ago it was the worst debut <laughs> by anyone including myself <laughs> that I've seen in a long long time so I was fearful but like Jason said credit hey, where credit yeah is. he's put in two good performances and Mariapa has put in two good performances alongside yeah, him yeah. as well I think it helps Mariapa to have such a, a, an experienced pro alongside him so, and, and we look pretty good and solid in defence and Loach as well He's looking a lot more better and confident. All of a sudden, a lot he's, he's commanding so a lot more better. Like lot more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do apologise, yeah, bad, bad English, that. Um, Loach is looking a lot better. He's commanding his area a lot more. He seems to be coming out further uh, in the 18-yard box and picking up those balls that are coming mm. through. Uh, he should be picking up. Yeah, it's good to see. Headers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jason, would you say, who's your man at the last couple of matches we've seen? For me, it's got to be Nosworthy. OK, Mike? Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> Did Jason just steal your well, man? No, what I was going to say about Nosworthy, let's give let's give Sean Dice some credit for bringing him in because mm. like, you know he was he went against the tide with bringing him in. There was a lot of raised eyebrows and people saying, "Come on, you signed Murphy to cover for Taylor mm. if he gets injured." He recognised that perhaps Murphy wasn't doing the biz and he went out and did and he got Nosworthy in. Mm. And eyebrows were raised, but you know those two performances, he's done well. We're still waiting for the moment where he sort of heads into his own goal from 40 yards out, <laughs> which I'm sure will come. But I think it's worth giving Dice credit for that. But um, um, I think Andy mentioned him earlier to me as we walking out, but uh, Jonathan Hogg, with no useless in there for the last two home games, and I think we've really noticed what Jonathan Hogg's been like. I mean, he is definitely a shopping trolley from, from Waitrose. You go over a certain line and you can't, you can't go any further. But that's no bad thing. He gets in there, he's breaking up play, and he, was, he had a very, very busy game tonight against Peterborough. He worked very hard. Um, I think, Andy, you made the point. He's the sort of player you hate playing against, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he just get, goes about his business. He's getting a foot in and... He, you can just see him almost gritting his teeth. I don't think he's got many, but um, <laughs> you, can, you can see him gritting his teeth when he's going in for the challenge. Sometimes maybe a bit too strongly, but... He's I an like engine. That. Yeah, He's it. an engine in the middle there. The, um, the one thing that, that, that these last two games we, 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 we've had is the fact that there have been some injuries, and that's why Mr Nosworth is brought in, because Martin Taylor seems to be out for a good 
almost two months we might not have Martin Taylor, Martin Taylor, put your head on it. Um, but in comes Nosworthy, another man we've had an injury, John Eustace. Yeah, well, you out, got... and, and replacing that man, Jason. I was going to say, King Eustace may not quite be dead, but long live the prince. Oh, hey, so... How long did you learn that? <laughs> From about five seconds ago. Okay, well <laughs> Could you tell when I was interrupting you? Um, yeah, I, and I started by saying how much more creative we look, and I think a lot of that is down to Boabin. He, um, he looks it? to take players on. He, he's also, yeah, he fancies himself a bit. And, forward. Forward. and we saw him... Um, at the Wimbledon friendly and, and at Bristol Rovers and he didn't look quite as fit then it looked like the game was sort of passing him by midfield whereas now yeah. he's, he's not running the show but he's, he's sort of having a lot more influence my, in, them, in that midfield my looking at the game is if you look at the, you know, the pitch you often watch a, foot, a fact, game of football looking sometimes at the pitch is a good start job yeah, yeah, yeah. Watching football, but when, sometimes you can watch a game of football and you can think surely there must be more of them on the pitch than us because there were, there were places in the middle of the field especially where it, they, they're just dominating just because they've got more men in that position. And when we had Eustace and Hogg, they were just a little bit further back, and there was almost like a dead man zone between them and the strikers. Just having Prince Brabin in and about the area seems to be filling it up a little bit, and we just seem to be getting a few more balls in the midfield. Yeah, I don't think you need to overcomplicate. I think you need to hit the nail on the head by saying he's just more creative. I think a lot of Watford fans have been, have been struggling to see where, the, where that sort of killer ball forward or that little spark was going to come from because, you know, Eustace and Hogg, great players as they are, this wasn't working, they weren't working in tandem. And I think that just he's brought that little bit of creativity. He's not the finished product by any stretch of the imagination, but what a, what a brilliant name. <laughs> and, and what a brilliant impact he's had and I think it's fair to say with the players we're talking about here these are players that Dice has brought in mm-hmm. um, perhaps haven't sort of Nosworthy's obviously alone he's come in recently perhaps haven't had the chance to, to feature in the team to, 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 to much extent but now they've come in and, and they're starting to play their part in in what I said was two very very important games players had to step up to the mark because we had our backs up against the wall lose one or, or both of those games yeah. and we're, we're staring down the barrel after 15 games already another, another man who made an impact over the last couple, couple of games Andy was Big Chris yeah yeah he's, he's done well he's done well I think in the first few games we saw him I think all we saw him do was three chests <laughs> and um, that was about it and he wasn't he wasn't a fan's favourite but I think he's really sort of had an impact now great touch for the, for, the, for Dini's goal um, you know was that tonight? Okay, tonight, yeah, tonight, right, yeah. tonight. That, um, yeah, it was. Yeah, and he had two two men on him as well yeah, with that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and he still got the, the touch into yeah. an intelligent play by Deeney as well. I thought so. He saw where what what was going on. Yeah. Dropped away from into space um, to create that first chance, and then led to the goal. A word for Troy Deeney tonight against against Brighton. I think he must have been out trick or treating last night, <laughs> or pinched all his kids' sweets because he was he was just running around like an absolute headcase for fifteen minutes. <laughs> it was brilliant to watch. Scored the goal, almost whacked one in at this end. It's sort of Deeney smash. Brilliant. But um, but I for me I think like Chris has had a bit of as the whole team the whole team have just wanted needed a little bit of time. He's he's come in. He's had his bit of time. He's sorted himself out, and all of a sudden he is he's. He's, he's, he's in that sort of role I want him to be, that senior upfront yeah, man. Absolutely, and I think uh, I think Sordell needed needed it as yeah. well. Oh, Sordell, yeah. I mean, I think everybody noticed he sort of went into himself a little bit. He wasn't looking as interested, perhaps as we thought he should be. And I think he, it may have been getting to him a bit. And sort of, he's the perfect player to play off a big man. I think with mm. the pace and things yeah. like that. And I think with a bit more work, and you know. I think it could be a good partnership up there, and then obviously Garner, you know, he's a nippy little player to come on as well if that's, you know, to change things. Um, but yeah, certainly Big Chris has um, won me over um, big time, and I think um, 
you know, it, it, we can look forward now with a, a, a sort of as things start to click a bit better and, and two wins under our belt, we can look forward a bit more. One thing I'm going to say, and I think I'm doing a bit of a mic here, it's still not 100%, it's still not perfect, but that's fine. For me, seeing some great performance is brilliant. Also lovely to see uh, Lee Hodgson back. Wonderful. I mean, what a great player to, to slot in with a, with a couple of injuries. Lloyd's been missing for the last couple of games. And again, I sit next to Andy, so we have a lot of conversations during the game, uh, much to his disgust, but he tries, tries, tries to pretend he's not with me. But what a great player to come in. He's, sort of, he's, he's a player that no-one talks about, saying, oh, don't worry, we've got Hodson to come in. You know, it'll be yeah. great when he comes in. But when he come, does come in, he, he looks cool, calm, composed. He's tough as well, that boy. Yeah. He's a tough little unit. He's and he, toughened up, though. And he, Well, I think he's always been a gritty little, little so-and-so, but, but the great thing is he doesn't look like a weak link when he comes in which all too often has been the case with, with Watford's backup players. Go on, Jason, where are you going? <laughs> I was going to say, because of his size, and you could see it tonight, he invites that sort of deep, long ball onto him. And Brighton was sticking one of their bigger men on him and they were playing that sort of angled ball from right to left. Um, and, and he was having to yeah, get up, try and win his fair share of headers. Uh, and he was getting stuck in. He wasn't shying away from it. OK, he didn't win every single header because of his, his size but he was he was making it hard for the for the front line I think the good thing about it and I think I said this to Mike on Saturday as well is that you see you know your first your first choice right back is injured sometimes it can be a worry when someone especially when you've got a small squad like Watford it can be a worry to who's coming in but with Lee Hodson you don't it's like no worries not, not a worry at all and yeah. I think you know especially playing it right back you know he had a bit of stick last year uh, playing left back sometimes and yeah fair play to him he comes in doesn't you know doesn't worry me at all that he comes into the side and he's look, he's had two great games another another player who's, who stood out well, the other other player I want to um, make sure he gets highlighted he's not the, not because and it, he's not one who's come in from somewhere or a new signing was Adrian Mariapa yeah. who's had some absolutely sterling games at the back uh, for Watford um, and absolutely dominated the uh, Mikael Smith today. Didn't give him an inch. Yeah. Uh, and really, really happy. And almost, I'd say, so far, my player of the season, I think. Yeah, he's a constant, isn't he? And the, the thing I like about Mariapa is he looks like a footballer. He looks the part, doesn't he? I mean, mm. with very quickly, take him for granted, really. I think he's the sort of player we would miss if, if, he, if he wasn't <laughs> in the side because he gives that, that back four a nice balance uh, he's very comfortable, um, he's strong in the air, he's, he's, he's tough in the tackle. Um, he's very, very important to keeping that back four balanced. And with the, with the changes that we've discussed, you know, Nosworthy coming in, Hodson dropping in, um, I think that having someone like Mariapa in there as that constant, as you say, John, is, um, is absolutely vital. And we just can't underestimate how important AD is to, is to the team. Of course, he's captain in, in Eustace's absence as well. So, absolutely, absolutely right. A hugely important player for Watford. I mean, we've got to say, it was. It's been a really, it's been a really tough month. It's great, it's superb to be able to end end this podcast on on a high. Um, again, we've been, we've been talking about the youth development. We've spoken about about Hodson and Mariapa, both youth players who have come through the system. Great to end on a high. We've got some real hard work to do now. Now we're away at Middlesbrough next game. Lose a couple of games and we're straight back down with the dead men again. This is this is that's championship the, for you though, Mike. Yeah, that's championship. Is, this is a start. We had to win. We did win. We can ask no more than that. Let's hope that that, that, that dark start to the month was a thing of the past. Daichi's got a job to do. Um, we know that he's got. He's still got to convince some people. I think that's fair to say. And uh, fans are entitled to their opinion. But I think what we've seen over the last couple of games is a Watford team. It's grown in confidence. It got a spark against Peterborough. Perhaps we got a bit of luck. They could have scored more. We could have scored more. But we won the game. We went on and won that game. And we. 
we've won another all of a sudden and how, how much better does life look after with six points in the bag um, and I've got tomorrow off work I think the, the key the key to me is uh, the football looks a lot better as well yeah. when we were losing those games the football didn't look good whereas now yeah, we're winning and it looks like we're playing some nice football and that that's made a big difference for me I think I'm feeling a lot more positive after so those two games we're ending the uh, the, the month on a high lots to come Middlesbrough wait was going to be on the television I don't know how many fans are going to go up to Middlesbrough all the way up there for a late kick-off on a Saturday. Good on you if you're going. Uh, we'll watch it on television. But uh, we're back again in another month with another podcast. Uh, remember, we're not going to go to the fans' home because we're going to be at Bishop Stortford for the Hearts Senior Cup first round game Tuesday the 8th of November. So it could be last Tuesday. It could be last, last Tuesday. Uh, but if you're listening before the, the game, then make sure you, you follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash rookeryend or our Twitters, rookeryjohn. Rookery Mike and Jace Bailey and we will keep you up to date with what's going on in that game because I, I think even fewer fans will make the trip to Bishop Stortford than, uh, than Middlesbrough. Any suggestions for 100 Objects? Let us know. Absolutely. Podcast at fromtherookeryend.com. Keep your 100 Objects coming in. We've got a long way to go. As have Watford, as have the team. <laughs> yes, Mike. Good analogy. <laughs> Good analogy. So 100 yeah. Objects, let's go over 100 points. How about that? There you go. New feature. That'll get us to Premier League, definitely. <laughs> Big thank you to Curtis for being part of the podcast and getting involved on Saturday. Safe trip home to America. Thanks for listening and uh, come on you on! Come on you on! Yes! <laughs>